In baptism, after rising from the waters of death in which we have been buried with Christ, we rise from those waters and we are anointed. We are anointed with oil. We are marked as Christ's own forever. And this anointing both seals and expresses our intimate relation with God as a child of God. In ancient Hebrew tradition, anointing was connected with the granting of divine power. It was particularly associated with kings. If you remember the story of David being chosen as a king over his older brothers, all sons of Jesse. And the Lord looks at all these sons and says, wait a minute, isn't there another one? And David is brought forward. And we are told, the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And when the Lord had seen David, he ordered that he be anointed. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Later the Lord says that David, the anointed one, shall be a son to him. And so one who is anointed with oil is generally associated with God's power. In later times, much later times, this is some of the foundation of the doctrine of what we came to know as the divine right of kings. So this word Messiah, translated, all it is, is anointed one. In Greek, it becomes Christos, the Christ, which as we know functions all, almost like a surname to Joshua bar Joseph, Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the one with divine power, Jesus, son of God, like David. Now in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, the woman who anointed Jesus was early on associated with Mary of Magdala, who made what we recognize as an outward and visible sign of inward and spiritual grace. Jesus had already been anointed by the Spirit at his baptism. Jesus had already made manifest the power of God, not least in the touching and healing of lepers, such as his host. But as is often the case in our lives, and often the case in Scripture, the sign does not coincide in sequential or linear time with the gift. But the sign gives offense. The anointing of Jesus gives offense to some of the people at this dinner. Why was this ointment thus wasted? For this ointment might have been sold for more than 300 denarii, or more than a year of wages for most people. This ointment might have been sold and the money given to the poor. What do you think was the real concern here? Was the concern for the poor? Was this concern voiced by righteous, passionate liberals who were still hoping that Jesus would lead them in some grand confrontation with the powers of this world to bring about social change? Was that really it? Even with every sign that anyone paying attention would know, pointing to Jesus' likely doom if he continued on the path he was on. So was this concern for the poor? Or was it something else? Maybe, maybe the bystanders, the guests at the dinner, were trying to curry favor with the guest of honor. Maybe they were trying to show him how engaged they were. 
not so much by criticizing the unseemly and extravagant and in some accounts even erotic behavior of the woman, but by dressing up their dismay as something righteous. We hate the sin, of course, but not the sinner. Was it that? Was it currying favor? What else could it be? Were they embarrassed for this woman? Then criticism wouldn't be the way they would go. Were they embarrassed for their host? Then surely they'd criticize Simon for letting him get near, letting her get near to Jesus. Even with the fairly open dining arrangements of the day, the host could have prevented this happening in all likelihood. Maybe they were jealous that they hadn't thought of anointing Jesus and gaining his approval. Or perhaps they didn't just didn't approve of public displays of affection, like harumphing when a president holds hands with his wife in a parade. It could be any of these reasons. It could be all of these reasons. But Jesus, as usual, cut to the heart of the matter. He was going to die. This time was ugly time. His death, his likely death, was the elephant in the room. I can't help but think of Andrew Young's description of the Memphis days immediately before his friend Martin was assassinated. He remembers conflict. He remembers discord. He remembers King saying, everyone here wants to drag me into your particular projects. Young says that when they were really feeling their oats, some leaders in the movement acted as if Martin was just a symbol under which they operated. He describes King as tired and depressed until he got back to his point, until he began to preach to the garbage workers, until he began to find beauty in the midst of all this ugliness. And he referred to the threats against his life and the fact that his flight from Atlanta had been delayed because of a bomb threat. And he went on, he went on, but literally sang forth, I have been to the mountaintop. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory the coming of the Lord. The elephant in the dining room of the house of Simon the leper was the imminent threat of Jesus' death, the impossible possibility that the anointed one, son of God, Messiah, Christos, could be defeated by the powers of the world. Maybe the woman's critics understood viscerally what she had done. And maybe they knew it was really abhorrent to them, even if they did not quite know why. There is beauty around Jesus, even as the mechanisms by which we do violence to one another in this world are about to be shown for what they are. The beauty of this simple act of generosity. I've been to the mountaintop. No wonder they reacted, participating in the violence even as they lashed out at the woman. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, another insider, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. 